Welcome to the Central Assembly Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Dr. Jim Bradford. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Book of the Bible, Genesis and then Exodus. It's the exit, the exodus from 400 years of slavery, the Hebrew people escaping from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Titling this series as we walk through the book of Exodus this new year, um, titling it God's Way Forward. This is God moving us forward in His purpose and His grace. And today I'd like to talk to you about those moments when God calls you by name. When out of the fire of His presence you hear Him call your name. So I'd like you to stand with me. We're going to begin by reading uh, the first four verses of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. And uh, may God bless, it, bless us as we allow the Lord to speak into our hearts. It's a terrifying and yet the most awesome thing I know when God calls you by name. So personally, the God who created heaven and earth. And here's how it happened with Moses. He'd He'd been 40 years growing up with the best education in the world in Egypt. He spent another 40 years shepherding sheep in a desert. Now he's 80 years old, and God calls his name. Now Moses was tending, verse 1, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that although the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This, of course, caught his attention. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. When God calls your name. Father, we pray that you will help us today as we gather around your word on this cold Sunday morning. We thank you for the warmth of your presence in this place. And we pray that we'll all hear you call our name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You've heard me say before that, uh, although tomorrow's a holiday, right? So there's no schools, probably no colleges or public schools or private schools meeting. If you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're a college student, um, on Tuesday morning, I like to believe that you're not just going to go to school. If you know Jesus... You're sent to school on a mission. When you go to work, some of you tomorrow morning, some of you Tuesday morning, you're not just going to go to work. If you belong to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. His resurrection spirit is inside of you. If all these things we've been singing about this morning of God's, God's triumph working its way out in our lives, uh, you, you, you have been called by name to a mission that God has for you. God has a mission with your name on it. That's why 
You're not going to go to work. I mean, functionally, you go to work, but theologically, you're sent to work by God because every one of us has a mission with our name on it. God's not going to call out Moses' name here just to say, I love you, although that's often how it starts. In fact, God's not really sentimental, you'll notice, with Moses in there. It's not like, hey, I love you, and I know you've been going through a hard time in this desert for 40 years, and, and let me explain myself to you, and, you know, I promise you're going to feel better at some point. God, God does not <clears throat> play the comforter role here. God plays, uh, I've got a job to do, and that's why I'm calling your name, because I've got a mission with your name on it. And I believe that's true of every person sitting. Now, none of us will be a Moses exactly, but I just believe that's true of every person that's sitting in this room. God's got a mission with your name on it. That's why we don't just go to things. We're sent. And if you're living as a follower of Jesus like you're not on a mission, then you're going to find a lot of things very confusing about the Christian life. And you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be wondering, what's this all this joy that other people are talking about? I mean, there's nothing that fully connects in being a Jesus follower until your life has been connected with a mission that God has for you, because you are His representative. You're going to be many places this week where you're the plan from God for that place. He's not going to have anybody else. The plan for your company, the plan for your classroom is going to be you because you're God's person. And so God has a mission with your name on it. Some of us don't want to hear God calling our names. We like our lives the way it is. Lord, don't ask me to take a risk. Don't ask me to do something I haven't done before. God, please don't ask me to get outside of myself and get involved in other people's lives. I mean, and please don't ask me to volunteer for something I've never done before. You know, and we just... We just we just resist, and, 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 and we dig in our heels. And again, you're going to become a very frustrated Christian if that's the case. God has a mission with your name on it. But here's the freeing part of it. This mission starts with Jesus, and it's for Jesus. This mission doesn't start with you, and it's not for you. But if you belong to Jesus, you become participants in the authority that Jesus has. Now, Jesus is about to give us, at the end of his life, just before he ascends back into heaven, uh, a mission that we all share in. But he, in, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, we'll come back to Moses in a minute because Moses is the one who will illustrate all this. But Exodus is the Jesus story of the Old Testament. And, and in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to his followers and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It should have been given to me. All authority. So if you are, see, we don't just follow Christ. We're all in Christ. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not just, you know, following Jesus like he's way out there in front of you. You literally are in him. You're clothed with his rightness where, where you've been wrong. You've been a sinner. You now have his righteousness. You have his resurrection spirit living inside of you. You have his identity and his purpose is being lived out of your life. And, and so if you're in Christ, you, you immediately begin to participate in this declaration of Jesus about himself. You, you, you get sort of sucked into it. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. 
And so when we follow him, we begin to participate in the authority that Jesus has working out within our world to push against evil and to bring people to himself. But it doesn't start with you, and it's not for you. It starts with Jesus, to whom all authority has been given, and it is for his glory and his purpose. Now, I'm going to talk a little about an insecurity fit that Moses has that lasts a chapter and a half in in Exodus. And I've had my share of those insecurity fits. And sometimes, you know, God doesn't try to do the counselor thing with me. He just slaps me down and says, look, Bradford, this didn't start with you, and it's not about you. So get over yourself and stop stressing out. This is my call on your life. And it's not your authority, it's my authority, and the pressure's not on you, it's on me, so stop kicking and get on with the program. If you're in me, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So what are you kind of moping about, grumbling, I'm not that good, all this stuff. So God's call starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with you. In fact, Jesus would later say, before... Before you chose me, I called you. He beat you to it in his sovereignty. Before you got to volunteer, he already had your number. And there comes moments in our lives then where out of the fire of his presence, he calls our name and talks to us about a mission with our name on it. But it's not a mission that starts with you, and it's not a mission that's for you. It's for him. And what was that mission? Well, after saying in Matthew 28, all, this, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus actually gets, gives it. It's called the great co-mission. In other words, it's God's mission, but he's got us partnered with his authority and with his life to participate with him in this mission. That's why people on the screen a few minutes ago were thanking you for the difference that's happening in people's lives in our city because this is what God's doing, but you are co-missioning with him. And here's the most general description of this commission. It's called the Great Commission. Verse 19, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, and this is the most amazing promise in all of Scripture, whenever God says, I'll be with you, I think that's the promise that beats every other promise in Scripture, just to know he's going to be with us. And he said, surely if you do this, I'm I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you want to give place to greater dimensions of God's presence and activity in your life, of less frustration in trying to grow spiritually, at some point you need to hear Jesus call your name out of his presence, out of his fire, and talk to you about the mission that has your name on it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you identify with Jesus, this is the mission to make disciples of every people group. My friend Alan Johnson likes to put it this way. He said, this is, this is Jesus' single powerful idea, that we get to partner with him to take the gospel to every human being that hasn't heard the message of Jesus Christ and what he did. This is God's single powerful idea for every one of us. Ultimately, I was with our 
children's leaders over lunch, and we did a leadership seminar last Sunday morning. I love all of you who are working with our kids. I said, I hope, right up top, I said, I hope you feel like you're changing the world. Our vision, one of our values as a church is to leave a God-sized footprint in our world, which is both a generational footprint and a global footprint. We have 7,000 people groups where it's full of people who will likely never meet a Christian their entire life, let alone hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately why we're mentoring young children. That's why we're changing the world through everything we do because ultimately we are partnered with Jesus' ministry. He didn't start with us, but he gave us his spirit to help us fulfill this. Go and make followers of me of every people group in the world. That's the Great Commission. Now, it's pictured in Moses. This calling on your life and mine is pictured in Moses and throughout the book of Exodus, which, as I mentioned before, is the Jesus book of the Old Testament. In chapter 3, where we just read the burning bush, and Moses hearing God call his name out of the burning bush, it goes on in that story in verse 7 to say, And the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Remember, the Hebrew people have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, right up to this that particular moment. And I've seen the misery of my people, Egypt. This is how God looks at all the people that will be in your life this week. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. I think some of us have been Christians for a while. We forget what it's like to be truly lost, to not have the light of Jesus, not have the joy of the Holy Spirit, but just to be vacant inside and dark. And God says, my heart's broken over millions that are vacant and dark, and they're under the slavery to sin. They're addicts. They're, they're, they're bound. They're, they're serving false gods and under their dominion. They're not free. They're not forgiven. They don't have a relationship with their creator. And, 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 and they're enslaved, just like Israel, the, just like the Hebrews were physically in slavery under Egypt. So here's the picture beginning to unfold. This is why God sends us on a mission. And he says, I'm concerned about their suffering. In verse 8, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Thank you for that. Amen. I think that's awesome. And that's what we celebrated when we took the bread and the cup. God came down in ways that, that are indescribable that you won't find in any other religious system in the world. God came down to rescue people enslaved in darkness that need him and then partner with us in his mission to reach others. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Next verse, verse 9. And so now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So then he says to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And if I was Moses, I would have just gone, Lord, time out right there. Uh, I thought you just said you were coming down to rescue them. I mean, what's this so I go to Pharaoh stuff? Go ahead. Rescue them, Lord. I thought you were coming down to rescue them. So I don't get this part of, so me go to Pharaoh. Well, God has a mission that he's writing Moses' name on. 
Because this is always how it works, isn't it? It's always how it works. He's going he's gonna to call you. He's going to call your name out of the fire of his presence. He's going to talk to you about what he's doing in the world. It's not necessarily what he's doing in your life. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago when I'm in God's presence, whether alone at home, sometimes in worship services here, I always have something to write on with me because sometimes out of the fire I hear him call my name. And then he'll start to talk to me. And often he won't talk to me about me. Sometimes he will. But often he'll start talking to me about the mission that he's writing my name on. He's forcing me to think outside myself and my needs because he gave us a great commission. He said, I want you to make disciples of every people group on the face of the earth. People in darkness, people in spiritual slavery and lostness. And he's writing my name. He's writing your name on a mission that has very practical. It doesn't mean you're called into full-time ministry. It doesn't mean that you know how to preach. But it does mean you have the power of the Holy Spirit And God wants to start talking to you. Whenever you're in his presence, keep your ear open to God talking to you about other people in other situations where he wants you to be his person. That's what he wants to do. Why doesn't God just leave me alone? I I talked to a lady who said, I have no interest in a God who just doesn't bless me all the time. I mean, forget that. You're going to tie God's hands, if it's possible, behind his back if you insist that he only bless you. He wants to involve you in a mission. And then comes our usual question. But why me? Who am I? Or why me? And that's Moses' immediate response in the next verse, verse 11. But Moses said to God, well, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And that's usually our default initial response. And God, we will find, isn't always interested in answering that question. In fact, he doesn't. He will never say to Moses, uh, well, you know, you're especially impressive to me. You know, you had the best education in the world in Egypt, and then you've had 40 years of experience in desert survival, and you're going to need both of those to fulfill my mission, to rescue the Hebrews and bring them into this same desert. Um, you know, he doesn't say, Moses, you, know, you shouldn't be so down on yourself. Um, you know, like, what happened to your self-esteem out in this desert? Like, you know, confidence, man. Um, he doesn't inflate his ego artificially. He doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't compare him with other people and say, here's why I didn't call Carter. I didn't call Pastor Carter because, you know what, uh, he can't do this and this. But you, you somehow passed the qualifying exam. First of all, if you feel like you qualify to have God's, your name on any of God's missions, you're in the wrong ball game altogether. You might as well give that one up. Remember what we said? The mission starts with you? No. It starts with Jesus, and it's not for you, it's for Jesus. And so, 
God apparently doesn't want to answer that question, who am I? Instead, they have this little conversation where Moses, Moses said, well, I'm going to have to go and visit the Hebrews then in Egypt to get them out of there if this is really what you want me to do. And so who on our earth should I say gave me the command to do this? Who should I say sent me? And God doesn't say, well, my name's Charlie. He doesn't have any human name. He just says, here's God's timeless response. It's, it's who I am. To the question, who am I? God says, it's not who you are, it's who I am. And so God said to Moses in verse 14, okay, you want to give them a name? Just say, I am who I am called you. In other words, whatever you're going to need, I've already covered all of those bases simply out of who I am. I've already covered these bases. God said, I am who I am. This is what you are say to the Israel, I am has sent you. So Moses is going, well, who am I? And God's saying, that's not the right question, and I'm not going to answer it. The real issue is not who you are, it's who I am. Remember, your call started with me, and it's for me. And that means the pressure's off you. That means that's an irrelevant question. Who am I? Why didn't you call Carter instead? You know, that's an irrelevant question. I've fought all those fights. I've had all those insecurity meltdowns myself. I've asked God, why didn't you call people who seem more impressive than I am? And God just says, look, I'm not going to answer that question. Once in a while he may, but usually he says, I'm not going to answer that question. What God gives us in Exodus 3 is the general pattern for how God writes our name on a mission he's calling us to. He, 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 he won't always indulge your ego by explaining why he thinks you're qualified to do this. He will rather indulge his own sovereignty and say, before I chose you, before you chose me, I chose you. And I ordained that you bear fruit. And he said, I am who I am. He's going to send you. I'm the one who sent you. The, the famous pastor and Bible teacher, Dr. John Piper, he likes to say, you know, we're used to doing a lot of things to compensate for our deficiencies, but God never does because he has no deficiencies. He's just totally sufficient. He's just totally sufficient. And who he is is going to be enough for you. This is where we get the name in the Old Testament, by the way, for God that's used 6,500 times, the name Yahweh, or some people pronounce it Jehovah. It's, it's related to the verb in the Hebrew to be. I just am. That means you'll never be without. He just is sufficient. He never has to compensate for deficiencies because he has none. And so you are going to lead these people out. You're going to need miracles. You're going to need water where there is no water. You're going to need food where there is no food in this old desert. You're, but, but I want to tell you, you're going to face problems you've never faced before. I just want you to know that who I am is going to be enough for you. 
So every time you read in your Old Testament, the English translations, usually it's just translated Lord, like often in the NIV, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. It just, you, you, this is the personal name of God. This is the God who comes and calls our name out of the fire and writes a mission and says, whatever the uncertainties that face you, whatever staggers you, whatever intimidates you, whatever makes you feel unqualified, he just, I, I just want you to say, Lord. I just want you to say, God, you are. You, you can't explain yourself beyond that. He just is. He's the eternally existent, the only utterly free being in the universe and beyond. He just is, and he's calling your name and writing it on a mission that he has for his glory to bring the gospel to every person who's never heard it in the world. And, and so what, what do we do? Well, I'd give up at that point if I was smart and say, okay, God, let's get on with the mission. But uh, it gets painfully personal for Moses here. It gets painfully personal. And so Moses, Moses objects, first of all, like he's, he, he's, we're into chapter four now, and he's, he, his insecurity fit is continuing. And he objects First of all, on the basis of his credibility, but, but my credibility. You know, this is when it gets painful for us personally as well. And Moses answered in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, well, what's in your hand? And he replies, well, I'm holding a staff. Remember, he'd been a shepherd in the desert. It's holding a shepherd's staff. So here's the credibility question. What if they don't believe me? Cred, credo, to believe. Sometimes we say a person has street cred. That means they're believable in the context that they live in. He said, he said what about my credibility? Like nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to believe me when I say God appeared in a bush that was burning and didn't burn up, and he told me to deliver all of you after 400 years. I mean, I mean yeah, that would raise some legitimate credibility problems. And, and he says, okay, uh, what's in your hand? And that's probably the way that God has addressed the credibility problem in every one of our lives. Our, our credibility is, is, is using what's in our hand. It's the experiences we've had. It's the things that God has led us that crush us sometimes, but equip us. It's all those seasons that we've lived. It's our experiences. And this, this credibility comes by, by not sitting around waiting for somebody to call you and recruit you to volunteer for something in the church. It's you taking whatever is in your hand of the experiences and abilities God's given you and you doing something with it. Now, don't, you know, now this was, that's a symbolic staff, right? All your experiences and opportunities. I mean, Moses had a literal staff. So God says, I want you to cast it down. And he did. It became a snake. Man, that would have terrified me. And then you don't want to hear these words from God's mouth. Reach down and pick it up. <laughs> Moses gulped twice. Reached down. He'd had a share of vipers out there in the wilderness for 40 years. He reached out, grabbed it by the tail, and it became his staff again. 
And God was saying, I'm going to give you some experiences. I'm going to give you credibility. My spirit can give you credibility that you don't have yourself. He said, put your hand in your cloak. He put his hand in his cloak, pulled it out. It was, all those ugly, terrifying white, white calluses of leprosy were on his hand. He put it back in, pulled his hand out, and it was normal again. He said, go down the Nile, pick up some water out of the Nile in a pitcher, bring it in, and, and, and he said, I want you to pour it on the ground. He poured it on the ground, and it became blood on the ground. I mean, God, God did those three things, and he said, I'm going to take care. I know how to work on credibility issues. Now, there's two dimensions. Just hang with me here. There's two dimensions in which credibility starts working out. First of all, we do need to work on our issues. You know, integrity. We talked about this last Wednesday night. Integrity. Uh, your credibility. If you don't have credibility, if, if people can't trust that, that, that you're taking care of the heart homework in your own life, they'll probably not follow you. You'll probably have very little in influence in other people's lives. But I want to say there's credibility that we can gain, first of all, by saying, God's saying, what's in your hand? What's in my hand are the opportunity to have experiences to grow into the freedom of Christ myself. Like, I don't want to expect something of other people that I'm not willing to do myself. If you look at the bulletin, you will see that on the inside page it says you're not alone. And, I mean, this translates into some very real choices we make as, as people. And, and it's got some ministries we have here at the church. The first is living free to help you deal with challenging, controlling problems. This, by the way, is not a recovery ministry, and it's not just for addicts. This is for anybody in the church who just wants to walk in freedom. It just helps you do your heart homework. Bill Rhodes, who leads that, he's got a table in the back here. He's just passionate about this. If you, if you, a, a part of our credibility is we take responsibility to deal with the issues in our own heart, and we don't do it alone. We do it with the power of God and other people and the Word of God and Living Free is a fantastic Sunday night program for you to, to gain the credibility that only comes when, when, when you're taking care of your own issues and not denying them or not letting them continue to control your life while, while you're trying to be an influence for God. And Stephen, if you're in a crisis right now, that does not exempt you from the mission, but there are people who can walk with you through crisis that have been trained here in our church family to walk with you. And Grief Share... We don't want you to deny your, some of you are experiencing great loss right now. I mean, there's every reason to say, well, who am I? And, and I don't have the credibility, and this is not the right opportunity, and all of this. But I want to tell you, you can walk through grief so you land on your feet in the end, full of the Spirit of God. It may take months and other people with you, but God wants you on that journey. And there's divorce care. If your life has been ripped apart, somebody came up to me after worship and said, I don't, I don't know if this was for me or the whole place, but, but I felt like the Holy Spirit saying to us in worship that, that, that sometimes our crushing has been the very thing that gives place to our fruitfulness because we come to the end of ourselves. But here, when God says, what's in your hand? There's, first of all, opportunities to grow that God puts in your hand. And then there's opportunities just to do something, just to say, God, I'm going to get on with the mission. And I've known people who say, I feel like God called me to be a missionary evangelist in Africa. So I say, oh, great. Will you help us stack chairs after this group meeting? I'll say, no, because I feel like I'm called. That's not my calling. I'm called to be a missionary evangelist. I got word, work for you. If you don't, you're not willing to stack chairs, you'll never be an evangelist. God says, what's in your hand? 
You just do it. When I was a college student, I attended a little Assemblies of God church, and on a really good day was still less than 100 people. And the pastor, bless his heart, he had a volunteer going to the, a nursing home a few blocks away from the church and doing a Sunday morning service before, the, before our regular service later in the morning. And so his volunteer quit, so he asked me. I'd never preached in my life. I preached half a sermon in my life. That was it. And I was all at 23 years old. And I go to this nursing home. I had a guitar under one hand and my Bible in the other. I go out there at 8.30 Sunday morning, go do the nursing home service, then go to church. About 40 would sit in front of me. Oh, they're all in wheelchairs. This is a very intensive care nursing home. And they were all in wheelchairs. And I would strum my guitar and try to figure out how to play hymns with guitars that they might know. They're all, in, they're all elderly people in the nursing home. And then I preached to them. And two-thirds of them, I would pretty much count, two-thirds of them would be sound asleep during my sermon. <laughs> but they loved when I just went and said goodbye to all of them before I left. They would wake up by that point. <laughs> and they would look at me and say, they wouldn't call me pastor, but they say, oh, sir, that was just one of the best sermons I've ever heard. <laughs> and I go, that was not the best sermon you've ever heard. That was just the best excuse you've had today so far for a nap. <laughs> and it wasn't very, until later I found out they actually broadcast it all through the nursing home, so families visiting in other rooms and everything would hear the gospel. And those were bad sermons. And I couldn't play the guitar well, and I just croaked along. I mean, the who am I stuff was just overwhelming. God, what do you... But God just says, what's in your hand? And I was planning on being an engineer. But God just says, what's in your hand? And when it comes to credibility, if you don't take care of the issues in your heart and you just sit around all the time, you will not have street cred in the kingdom of God. And, you know, you can say, well, but I want to lead people to Jesus. No, you, you got it. What's in your hand? The opportunity to take care of the issues in your heart and keep growing personally. Don't wait till you've grown up spiritually, but you're, you're taking responsibility for the issues in your heart and you're not sitting around. And it may not be your ultimate calling, but you never sit around. You're always putting your hand to do. And, you know, God uses every season of every experience to equip you some way. And he uses it to humble you. Thank God for that. And he uses you to touch people because you're engaging a mission with your name on it. And sometimes it's, it's about the mission itself. Sometimes it's even more about God preparing you for the larger mission of your life. But you always listen to the credibility question. What's in your hand to be growing spiritually and to be doing something? And then it's the capability question. And Moses said to the Lord, not only my credibility, but my capability, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since, that you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then God asked him, uh, by the way, who was it that made your mouth? <laughs> who, who created all this? And you're asking me, you're saying that's a good excuse for not doing anything for me? And uh, eventually God gives him his brother Aaron to be his mouthpiece. But your credibility, that's your believability. It comes by looking at what's in your hand. 
Because the issue, the issue is a mission with your name on it that starts with Jesus and is for Jesus. And uh, his name is the great I am. And I'm enough for all you need. So, so just do what you have the opportunity to do. And when it comes to your ability, you just say, God, I'm, I'm going to need you. You didn't, you didn't call me because I'm more able necessarily than anybody else. But I just always want to be saying yes to you. But then, as we close, he hits the bottom line. But Moses said, verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord. It's the third time he said, pardon me in this chapter. <laughs> uh, just one more thing, Lord. I just don't want to do it. Just send somebody else. And that's the bottom line you don't want to come to. Believe me. And God's been patient. God said, I'll work with you. Okay, your brother will be your mouthpiece. Yeah, I'll give you these miracles to perform to enhance your credibility. I'll put things in your hand. And you've already shepherded sheep for 40 years in the same desert that I'm going to have you shepherd my sheep for 40 years. I've, you know, I've, you know we've got the credibility thing covered. I made your mouth. We've got the ability thing covered. All of this stuff. But then he said, please send someone else. And this is when God gets angry. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And why would God get angry? Because there's so many lives at stake that he wants to see brought into his freedom. I'd like you to stand with me.